0: This is the fourth in our series of messages. The series is on the subject of baptism, and today the fourth and final message is titled Believer's Baptism. The first message was baptism in Christ, where we talked about the Holy Spirit of God baptizing us into the body of Christ. The second message was baptism of fire, as we looked at the day of Pentecost and the baptism of fire On the day of Pentecost. The third message (coughs) was the baptism of Christ or the baptism of Jesus when we saw Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And today (coughs) the final message is believers' baptism, Matthew 28 and verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, "'All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of <clears throat> the age I want to show you a picture this picture is Dr. Lee Robertson Dr. Lee Robertson is the man who ordained me Dr. Lee Robertson was the chancellor of the university where the seminary was in Chattanooga Tennessee that that I attended I remember when in seminary, walking out of a service at the Highland Park Baptist Church and hearing a student who had confronted Dr. Lee Robertson. At first, I was shocked that anyone would have the audacity to challenge Moses. But uh, as I listened, and that's the way we all thought of him, and if you look at his picture there, he is Moses-like. But I listened a little closer to the conversation. And here's what the student was doing the student was questioning him about the importance of baptism, the importance of water (coughs) baptism. And from what I could gather, his contention was that since water baptism wasn't part of salvation, it was more of a suggestion than a command in Scripture. To this, Dr. Robertson quoted him (coughs) the text that we just read today, and he said something along these lines, "'Son, it's a command of Jesus, not just a suggestion.'" The authority of his voice was so convincing that I wanted to get baptized again because it is a command of the Lord. It is more than just a suggestion. And as we've said, this is now the fourth week to discuss the matter of baptism. and We have seen what it means to be baptized into the body of Christ. And as I said, we looked at the day of Pentecost and the baptism of fire and the study of Jesus being baptized at the River Jordan. We want to see what it means to be baptized by water or into water and <clears throat> why that is important. To be obedient to the Lord in baptism, we must be baptized at the right time for the right reason and in the right way. Now, I want to say that again because that's our outline today. We must be baptized at the right time <clears throat> for the right reason and in the right way. We're talking about water <clears throat> baptism today. That's the outline for the message. If being baptized is an act of obedience to the Lord, shouldn't we <clears throat> be baptized the way that he expects, the way that he would be baptized if Jesus were to be baptized in this day and time? How do you think Jesus would be baptized if he came in here today and he said, "Randy, I want you to baptize me." Now, if I were to say to him, "Lord, how should you be baptized? He would basically tell you much of what I'm going to say today. He would want to be baptized by immersion as he was baptized in the River Jordan. In addition to our text, Commanding Baptism, there's another passage that gives us all of the answers that we're seeking. This is the story of a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. And you'll recall that Stephen was also a deacon in the church of Jerusalem. And Stephen was a man that was full of zeal, and he, he's the one who was, uh, received the stoning after he preached the truth, and, and Saul was there consenting to that stoning. That was Stephen. He wasn't a preacher. Although he was preaching, he was a deacon in the church. And this story that we're going to read in Acts chapter 8 is about a deacon's ministry from this particular church. And one of these times of obedience uh, to the Lord took this deacon to an appointment that he had with a government official. It wasn't an IRS agent, but it was close. Acts chapter 8 and now verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there's this is a desert place. And he rose and he went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasures. So actually he was an IRS agent. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? about himself or someone else. Now watch this. Then Philip opened his mouth and began uh, with this scripture. He told him the good news about Jesus. Philip preached to him Jesus Christ. Philip preached to him the gospel. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So let's look at this. First of all, here is a baptism at the right time. Now because some religions practice certain kinds of baptism at christening, it's easy to become confused about the proper timing of baptism. And I want to say a word to some of you who were christened as a child, or some of you who were Uh, well, baptized, uh, quote, into whatever religion you were at that time as a child. Now, I want you to hear what I'm about to say, and I always, I try to say this very kindly because I used to not say it kindly at all, and it was counterproductive. Here's what that means. You were, uh, according to the practices of the faith of your family at that time, uh, you were baptized based on the faith of your parents you were baptized because your parents had a certain faith that called for this christening and they call that a baptism that is not the kind of baptism that we're talking today talking about today that was a baptism based on your parents faith i appreciate understand and respect the fact that your parents had a faith that caused them to want you to be baptized in this way or to be christened in this way when you were born. That is not the way that that we do that and that is not the baptism that I'm talking about today. What we're talking about today, and we're going to emphasize this many times over, is a believer's baptism. This is what we're speaking of today. This is the biblical baptism. The truth is that there's nothing in the scripture that says anything about christening or an infant baptism. The Bible doesn't suggest anything other than a believer's baptism or a baptism because you are a born-again believer. Now, as we see in the case of this man uh, that Philip encountered, a testimony of salvation was expected, and you see that more clearly in the King James Version, if that's what you're reading today, uh, before the ordinance of baptism to, could be administered. The first and foremost thing that Philip did to him was not to baptize him, but to preach to him the gospel of Jesus Christ, after which he said, okay, now can I be baptized? So it's important for us to understand the <clears throat> timing of baptism. Acts 2.38 is an interesting verse that a lot of people have confused. And I want to talk to you about Acts 2.38 because this is a, a verse that also speaks to the timing of baptism there are many who have taken this verse to mean that water baptism is a part of salvation. That is that it is necessary for salvation. In other words, there are many religions that believe that if you are not baptized by a preacher like me or a priest or uh, some other uh, reverend or whatever it may be, that if you are not baptized, then you cannot, that is water baptized, that you cannot (coughs) be saved. Now, that belief states that you just can't be saved until you are baptized and by the right person. Uh, Oftentimes, they say, well, you've got to be baptized into this church or baptized by this kind of a person. Now, they acknowledge that that one can and should believe on Jesus, but it's not complete until you are actually baptized. And, And I want to say this, there are a lot of Baptists who believe this, and the reason that a lot of Baptists believe this is because Baptists oftentimes, in fact, as much as anybody, Baptists do not know what they believe. Uh, more, probably more than any other religious group, uh, or certainly as much as any other religious group, Bapt, Baptists just do not know what they believe. Now, there are other religions that, that put young people and new converts and so on through a catechism and that kind of thing through a, a religious teaching of the church. And, and uh, actually, that's really not a bad thing. I, I, I think sometimes that we Baptists need to uh, pick up on some things that other religions uh, do. And, and there's nothing wrong with some sort of a, a catechism. I've often thought, I've, I've often envied the Catholics because they had purgatory and we didn't. And there are just a lot of people I'd like to threaten with purgatory, but uh, <clears throat> we don't have that uh, in the Baptist religion, so we can't threaten people with purgatory. But there are people who really believe that you've got to be baptized by a, <clears throat> a certain uh, preacher or or priest or whatever, and they use Acts 2.38. Let me show you Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, if if there's nothing more than the first half of that verse, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the for the forgiveness of sin, there's still an issue. And and here's what what I'm talking about. The, the, the people who believe this and believe it strongly see the word for as meaning in order to. And I'll grant you that in many cases, the word for does mean in order to. Uh, but it doesn't mean that in every case. The word for can just as easily mean because of. For instance, if I said to you, uh, they cheered for their team. Now, that doesn't mean they cheered in order to have a team. They cheered because they had a team. Had they didn't, if they didn't have a team, there would be no reason to cheer. They cheered because they have a team. Or he jumped for joy. Now, did he jump in order to have joy? Or did he jump because he had joy? Or they cried for their loss? Well, why were they crying? In order to have a loss or because that they had a loss? Well, very clearly, the word for can mean either be because of or uh, in order to. <clears throat> None of these that I've just stated would be because of, uh, but, uh, or, or in order to, but because of. So if the verse just stopped at that, there's still question and confusing confusion regarding <clears throat> whether or not baptism by water is necessary in order to have salvation? Is it in order to or because of? Of course, I contend very strongly, and I believe the Bible teaches, that it's because of. But as you go on in the verse, you see that the promise of receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is attached to baptism. It's not just baptism. It's having the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, you recall that in our first message, we considered the only baptism that was necessary for salvation. And there is a baptism that's necessary for salvation. That baptism is the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit, you do not belong to God. And <clears throat> so we, we read to you and shared with you verses and teachings regarding the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where that the Holy Spirit uh, takes the, the believer, the person that's putting their faith in Christ, and they put them into <clears throat> the body of Christ. And by the way, when they are put into the body of Christ, you know what else the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit seals them in the body of Christ. Ephesians four thirty. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. When do they do that sealing? After they place you into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit of God places you into the body of Christ and seals you for the day of redemption. When I was a kid, we used to say ticky lock. That means it's locked up. (laughs) Ticky lock. They seal you. They put you in. The Holy Spirit puts you in and you are sealed. So this verse tells us that repenting or being baptized into the body of Christ in the name of Jesus Christ assures us of the gift <coughs> of the Holy Spirit. Spirit baptism comes at salvation. Water baptism comes after salvation. Being baptized before salvation and teaching <coughs> that it is part of salvation has is- issues rooted, excuse me, <coughs> rooted <coughs> in the very verses of, that, that people often use to teach that water baptism is necessary. And then there's another problem. The other problem is that teaching that water baptism is necessary, that you have to go through the work of water baptism in order to be saved, the, the, the problem with that is that it flies in the face of the teaching of grace. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. So the way that salvation comes to us is by grace. The act of water baptism is a work. It is an act of obedience. It is something that you do because you want to obey the Lord and because you have been saved. Now, if it's a matter of obedience, then if you feel like that you've got to do that in order to go to heaven, then you've negated the the teaching of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Not a result of works. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Under no circumstances should anyone think that anything can be done to obtain salvation. It can't salvation is of god's grace and it travels in the vehicle of faith none of salvation is of our own doing you say now wait a minute what about the act of faith i want to tell you something about faith faith is a gift everything that everything that's taken me to heaven at the end of this life is a gift to me including the vessel of faith that I traveled out on the sea and picked up the gift of salvation on, the sea of sin and picked up the gift of salvation on. Let me show you. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he uh, ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according, look here, to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Oh, my goodness. Even my faith is a gift? Oh, yeah, it's all a gift. It's. Aren't you glad that God's good to you? Good to you not only uh, to die on the, uh, have his son Jesus die on the cross for your sins and give you the gift of grace, but even give you the faith so that you could... He, he not only prepared the meal, he set the plate and pre- gave you the utensils so that you could have the meal. Everything in salvation is of God, including the gift of faith by which we receive <clears throat> the gift of salvation. Now let me give you another problem. And that is the feasibility of thinking that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. It's just not feasible. When an airplane <clears throat> is going down, I'm here to tell you there are a lot of people that get saved. It's just the truth. I promise you that there are people on an airplane that when it's going down, they are getting saved. I talked to a man one time who was a cabinet-level official uh, in the state of Florida. If I said his name, most of you would know his name. And I I talked to him about his salvation. I witnessed him in my office. And I said to him, I said, Now, I want to know, has there been a time in your life when by faith you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? He said, Absolutely. I said, Okay, tell me about it. And he told me about when he was a pilot, and that he had an airplane that he was flying that was going down, a military plane. <clears throat> it was going down. And he said, I want to tell you, preacher, that I committed my heart and life and soul to Jesus Christ right there. I was saved on the way, on that, on the way that plane was flying down. You say, now, do you believe <clears throat> that people can get saved like that? Well, let me tell you how I got saved. When I was eight years old, I was responding to an invitation and back to the church that I grew up in, they, they it was one of those uh, old fashioned churches that had the mourner's bench where people would, the sinners would come forward and they'd kneel down. Some of you have no frame of reference for what I'm talking about, but some of you do. <clears throat> the, the sinners would come up and they'd kneel down and people would come by and they'd encourage you and half of them would tell you to turn loose and the other half would tell you to hold on. You didn't know whether to hold on or turn loose. <clears throat> I mean, I was confused as a termite and a yo-yo and <clears throat> just couldn't figure out what to do. And here's what happened. I-, I said to the Lord, I remember saying this. This was at the McFerrin Mich- uh, Avenue Missionary Baptist Church on McFerrin Avenue in East Nashville, Tennessee. Here's what I said to God. Lord, I'm a little boy. I don't know what to do. Please save me. Now, I'm here to tell you that I got is saved at that point as somebody going down in an airplane, <clears throat> as somebody who was witness to on a, a Thursday night visitation, as someone who responded in a crusade, I got saved. In, in a few weeks, I'm going I'm to bring a message to you about doubting your salvation, and I'm going to talk about people getting saved. But here is the reality. People get saved a lot of times when they are unable to follow up with any kind of a water baptism. Uh, you remember this guy <clears throat> in Luke chapter 23 and verse 42? And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now here's the beautiful thing about that. This is one of the thieves on the cross. And the the Roman government was so sensitive uh, to this teaching that they took the man down off the cross. And they said to Jesus, look, we're going to let you down for a while so you can actually baptize this guy so his salvation will be complete. Then we're going to put you both back up there and we're going to finish the job. No. When Jesus uh, made that statement, Jesus was on the cross, dying on the cross for our sins, And that thief was on the cross, and he died for his uh, his own transgressions. And Jesus assured him that he was on his way to be with him, the Lord Jesus Christ. No water baptism involved. Now, that's a rather long way to a short truth. But salvation is not predicated on water baptism. In fact, just the opposite. Water baptism is predicated on salvation. Salvation if you have been saved and look to a time before you were saved as your time of baptism, really, I'm asking you to reassess uh, your baptism because you want to be baptized in, <clears throat> at the right time. And here's the other thing. You want to be baptized for the right reason, the right time and the right reason. Now, I know you've heard this illustration before. I've given it, and I think I've given it recently, or maybe I haven't. I just prepared this so long ago I thought I'd given it. But you've heard this story. When a Texas pastor, Jim Dennison, was in college, he served as a summer missionary in East Malaysia. And while there, he attended a small church. And at one of the church's worship services, a teenage girl came forward to announce her decision to follow Christ in baptism. During the service, Denison noticed some worn out luggage leaning against the wall of the church building. And he asked the pastor about it. Here's what the pastor said. The pastor said, her father said that if she was baptized as a Christian, she could never go home again. So she brought her baggage to the baptism. Now, that was a demonstration on the outside of an extraordinary faith on the inside. In most every part of the world, Christian baptism is seen as more than it seems to be in the United States of America. Many believers, and maybe some of you, see it as an option in the Christian life. I will grant you, and have already made the point, that it's not part of salvation, but it's an important part of obedience to the Lord. And so I ask you again, have you been baptized since you became a born again believer? Now, you know the answer to that. You know the answer to that. You do. And I will say this, and and it's just the truth. There are some of you who have not been baptized since you were saved. You went through something that you called baptism prior to salvation, but baptism is a believer's baptism. And let me say this, there's no shame in answering no to that question, but it's certainly something that you want to address in your life, and for good reason. Here's one good reason, obedience. Don't forget our text. All authority is, this is Jesus speaking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now we live in a world where there are consequences for disobedience. For instance, if you disobey the tax code, I can assure you that there are consequences for your disobedience. If you fail to file your income taxes or, or cheat on your income taxes, whatever it may be, <clears throat> I can assure you there's, there's consequences. Disobey the law and you can be taken into custody. However, here's where we seem to have lost a reverence or a fear. We have lost our reverence or honest fear for God. We've just lost it. Because of His grace, or because His judgment seems so far away, the idea of obeying the Lord isn't as important to us I was, I was talking with, with uh, some folks before the church service and uh, was talking about the condition of our, our world today and the commitment level of believers today. And, and let me say this, you're here. Thank God for you. I'm glad you're here. So what I'm saying, don't take this personally. I'm talking about the situation in general. But I'm here to tell you that it is, there has been a drastic fall off in the number of people who go to church faithfully a drastic it's not a little bit you can look around here you can look around and see empty spaces and say where is everybody there's nowhere once in a while they'll go you know to an event thing but 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 the reality is that there's been a drastic fall off in the commitment to church and that's a problem That's a serious, serious problem. You know, in the demographics of of our church, and I'm not this isn't a message on giving, but in the demographics of our church, do you know where the you know what what group is the largest giving group in the in the church? The largest giving group in the church is age fifty five to sixty five, and when I say giving group, I mean the dollars that supports the church. 55 to 65. You know the next to largest group? 65 up. Those are the two largest groups. They fall off drastically below that. Now what does that tell you? Let me just ask honestly. What does that tell you about the church in general in 10 years? What does that tell you? You say, well, when... When folks have to, they will. Oh no, 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 no. We we have totally flipped our society today. To where that the idea of an obedient life is not the life. It's the idea of a convenient Christian life. We don't want the obedient Christian life. We want the convenient Christian life. And that's not to say that we don't have people in their forties that give and people in their thirties and people in their twenties. But the reality is that. And, and, and I've seen the graph. It, it's more than half of the giving. And this local church is age 55 and up. And, and to be honest with you, this isn't an old church. That is, people in it aren't old. So it's, it's, a, it's a really big thing. And what's happened in today's world is that obedience is not important anymore. We want a, an unchallenged Christian life. I don't want to be challenged. I, I, I just don't know that I'm going to go to a church where I'm uncomfortable with what I hear. When, quite honestly, 40 years ago, you didn't go to a church that didn't make you uncomfortable because you wanted your life changed. Now, the world wants their lives confirmed. They don't want their lives changed. When when I first started preaching, I used to say this, well, when you come to church, bless God, I want you to leave sad, mad, or glad. Ha! I want you to have your toes stepped on and blah, blah, blah. And then you know it got unfashionable to step on people's toes, so we started not stepping on people's toes, and people got used to that. And this is the way that of the world. Let, let me, boy, I'm really off target, but I'm having fun. Hey, <clears throat> let, let me let me tell you this. We, and of course, we have a lot of North Florida Christian school teachers. How, how many of you are school teachers? Do you raise your hand? You're school teachers. All right, thank you. A lot of you, a lot of you are school teachers. Do you remember? When there was a time that you weren't wrong, it's been a long time ago, but can you remember that? It's probably 20 years ago now. You weren't wrong. You, you, what happened was you, you went home, or, or the, the, the kid went home, and the kid said, I got in trouble at school today. And the parent said, what'd you do? You know what the parent says now? What happened? They don't say, what you do? They say, what happened? And you know what they're listening for? They're not listening for something that their child did. They're listening for something that the teacher did. You say, well, how does that affect church? It affects everything. This is the world in which we live. We look. Burger King told us years ago, you can have it your way. Hold the pickle, hold the lettuce, special orders, don't upset us. Order up at Burger King and have it your way. Yes, I watched too much television as a kid. And that's the way we started ordering church up. That's the way that people started ordering their Christian lives up. And that's one of the reasons that people think that certain things as valuable and important as the ordinance of baptism is an option instead of an act of obedience. Now I assure you that God loves you and me and that He is long-suffering, but deliberately disobeying the Lord's command concerning a simple act of, 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 of obedience. Well, that's just tempting God. Every believer should be baptized because it's obedience to the Lord's command. Here's another reason. Every be- believer should be baptized because it's testimony. Obedience is something that all of us can demonstrate. Baptism is a demonstration of our our obedience to God and our reliance on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as our hope for heaven. Romans 6, 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I've always pictured baptism as a play that we're acting out, showing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. You believe that He was buried. You believe that He rose again the third day. There are two ordinances in the church, two duties that are performed by ordained people. Those two ordinances are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Now, and they're both pictures of the love of the Father and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. The reasons to be baptized are obedience and testimony. And then here's the third one, example. Why was Jesus baptized? Well, there were a couple of uh, reasons, but but mainly he was baptized as our example. And while that's not all of the reasons that we should be baptized, it is one reason. You're an example to other people when you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Here's something that's, that's a little different for us. A different way to look at it. Baptism does not precede salvation, and obedience is in following the Lord in baptism. But there are some people who are baptized more than once, and not uh, because that they feel like they didn't obey the first time, but because they want to be an example and an encouragement to other people. This is why Jesus was baptized. I'm guessing that there's someone who's hearing this message today. You're either hearing it in this room or by live streaming. You're hearing this sermon today, and you know that baptism is the right thing for you, but you're hesitant at baptism. Now, I'm going to suggest something to you that some of you have never heard of. Would you be less hesitant if a family member would be baptized with you? Well, I don't have any family members that still need to be baptized. Do you have any family members that would want to be an encouragement to you? Jesus didn't need to be baptized. You think he needed to be baptized? Whew, come on, John, get me baptized. woo No. He was baptized as an example. What if someone here made the decision to follow the Lord in baptism and it encouraged another person to do, like Jesus did? Now, I'm not suggesting that the whole church should be baptized again, but maybe a family who has one or two members in it that need to be baptized, that if the whole family said, hey, let's just all be baptized, they would do it. The family takes communion together. The family goes to the Holy Land. They say, I want to be baptized in River Jordan. I mean, there's there's a lot of reasons for that. And again, I'm not suggesting that everybody has to do it, should do it, or needs to do it. But but there is not one thing wrong in doing it if it would be an example and an encouragement to somebody else. There's nothing wrong in that. it's, It's, in fact, a right reason. Provided that it's at the right time, and and after salvation, and done in the right way. Now that brings me to the final point of the message: What is the right way for baptism? Baptized in the right way. Not only do some faiths baptize before salvation, but some baptized by means other than immersion. Some of you came from churches where the mode of baptism was taking water and and out from a container and and put it on, sprinkling it on your head. There are churches that use a method of of pouring on the the head as being baptized. And then there are churches like ours that baptize by immersion. And just as it's important to be baptized at the right time, the way that we are baptized is essential also. What's the right way to be baptized? Well, first of all, you have to understand the word. The word baptize is a transliterated word. It's a word that was made into English from the Greek, and the Greek is baptizo, and here's what that word means. It means to dip, to immerse, to submerge for religious purpose, to overwhelm, to saturate. It, it seems that those faiths that, have moved, faiths that have moved to a different mode of baptism have done so for convenience. But I'm not sure that that's a valid consideration. In fact, I know that it's not. The cross wasn't convenient. And, and also remember that baptism is a demonstration of your faith. We've already covered that in Romans chapter 6 and verse 4. It's a demonstration of your belief in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And finally, I want you to look at the baptism that we have cited today and that of Jesus. It's very clear how they were baptized. In, in Acts eight thirty six, as we were saying from the eunuch, and as they were going along the road they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and eunuch, and he baptized him. They both went down into the water. Now, what is that talking about? Matthew's gospel, chapter 3, verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan, to uh, John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented uh, prevented him saying i need to be baptized by you and and do you come to me? But Jesus said, let it be so, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Here's what I can assure you. I can assure you if you're a believer And I can assure you that if you get baptized at the right time, for the right reason, and in the right way, I can assure you that God will look on you from heaven and say, this is my beloved child, I'm well pleased with you. I can assure you that God will be pleased with you. And I'll tell you this, I can assure you that you'll be happy about your decision. Now let me tell you something, and then we're going to come to the end of the message. I'm going to give an invitation today. And here's what I realize. I realize that more than one or two or three or five or whatever it may be are sitting there saying, you know what, he's right. I need to be baptized. He's preached a whole month on baptism. I need to be baptized. Some of you thought that. And it's a good thought. You should think that. But here's what you say well, I don't know if I want to respond to that invitation today. I want you to respond to the invitation. I hope you respond to the invitation. But I'm going to say something, and I want you to hear this. And it's not that I'm trying to kill the invitation, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. Uh, here's, Here's what I will gladly do for you. I will gladly meet with you, or Tommy will gladly meet with you, or, or someone, uh, 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 Brother Jesse will gladly, or Larry will gladly meet with you and talk to you about salvation, and we will set a time for you to uh, talk to you about baptism. We will set a time for you to be baptized in this church and give a testimony and an encouragement of your salvation. It would be a wonderful and powerful event in your life, in the life of your family, if you would present yourself for believer's baptism. You see, you're trying to run the baptism numbers up. I I do not give a hoot about the baptism numbers, but I do care about being obedient to the Lord. And I would encourage you to be obedient to the Lord. Let me close with this illustration. I had a friend that some of you got to know. His name was Max Helton. Max Helton was the founder of a ministry to the racing community around the world. And what he was known for the most was his outreach to NASCAR drivers. When Max died, they, they put his name on the infield of, of the race uh, after he passed away and, and gave homage to him in that way. You may recall a Sunday when he brought Bill Elliott here And Bill Elliott gave a testimony of his own uh, salvation. Max is with the Lord now, but he led many people to Christ, including that man you're looking at, Jeff Gordon. Jeff Gordon was baptized in October of 1994, 21 years ago. He had won his first two Winston Cup races, which were great thrills, but following his baptism, he said, this is the happiest day of my life obeying the Lord will do that for you. If you haven't, I trust that you will obey the Lord in believer's baptism.